0: Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yuggera people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples
1: today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities.
0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Trainer Talks and Tales. Hope you're all having a great day so far. My name is Tess, and this is Daisy. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Daisy, how are you going?
1: Hi, Tess. Happy Thursday, everyone. We are so excited to be back in your ears with another fun guest. We've got a bit of a different kind of story and a bit of a chat today uh, with a new guest, which will be really fun. But first of all, Tess, tell me all about your week. What have you been up to?
0: Um, I've had a good week. Thank you. It's been hot as Hades at the moment at work. I've never been so hot as the last couple of days. Um, But yeah, it's been really good and school's back. So it's a little bit more quiet at the sanctuary and a bit more crazy. So I'm loving that. What about you? What's new with you?
1: yeah honestly like i really don't have anything overly exciting to report it's been a pretty standard week um i've spent a bit more time at the beach which was one of my resolutions for the year so i was happy to get that blue color which was nice nice to spend some time in the (laughs) sun (laughs) um but i do have like a really quick kind of recommendation maybe i guess it's not necessarily like i'm recommending something but it's something i came across on instagram which i thought people might benefit from learning from um it's a really cool account called zoo spenceful um, and it's a kind of really based around different training techniques, different training wins, etc. So I definitely recommend following them. But they actually shared a video from Dolphin Plus, Dolphins Plus, sorry, which is a facility in the States. And they just talk about the PRE-MAC principle, um, which is pretty much where you're reinforcing a low probability behavior with a high probability behavior. They demonstrate it really well uh, with like a cooperative care behavior with a dolphin followed by a high energy behavior. So what the dolphin would find reinforcing um, would be that high energy behavior to uh, like a less reinforcing behavior, for example. So it can be absolutely used in a variety of different training with different species um, and something I'm hoping to try and learn a little bit more about and possibly implement into some of my training too, where when necessary or like where it kind of fits the point. So, yeah, absolutely recommend checking out that video just on Zoo Spenceful.
0: Yeah, awesome. I've been following them for years. Um, I mm. saw them speak years ago, and they were just so cool. Like the, um, information they're giving and like the way they explain it is just like awesome. So yeah, i would recommend that too. However, I haven't seen that video. Um, Daisy, this is really random, and I really considered not bringing this up, but, um, my recommendation is actually a product, and this is not a spono, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but I have a border collie who is allergic to grass apparently and I know that lots of other people that I've been speaking to with all this hectic rain everyone's grass is just bunter and their dogs are getting real itchy um particularly that like past palin grass that's just everywhere at the moment um so I found this product last year called Coco Kaboo. um I don't know if we can put it up on the podcast or something and it's like um amazing so if you have an itchy dog and they're getting like little heat rashes or like allergic reactions during the heat at the moment um hit up this product it's so good and yeah I promise this isn't sponsored I just really love it you know when you find something that just changes your life that's me at the moment <laughs> yes
1: yes and not not All sponsored right. but it, like if the company wants to reach out that would be fine <laughs> yeah no Maybe I think that's a,
0: a great thing a tag.
1: yeah no, I think that's great. I think it's cool to recommend products that you're working with. And, like, I'm sure so many dogs, especially in Queensland right now, are struggling with that. So, hopefully, it helps another it's dog go out.
0: A- <laughs> it's animal related. I just threw that in there. Anyway, let's get into this episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about who we're having on?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, this week we are talking to Emily. Now, Emily is, she works, sorry, as a keeper trainer at Natureland Seal Sanctuary, which is in Skegness, um, which is in the UK. And Seal Sanctuary there is actually completely rehab and rescue. And so it's really cool. We haven't really spoken too much about rehab and rescue on the podcast. So it was great chatting to her about sort of the initial stages of when they find a seal that's up on the beach um what they do how that rehabilitation process looks like the success rate of root re- release um the species that they get there in the uk um and some things that she's i guess maybe struggled with and some of the training tools that she's utilized with the um seals that she has there as well so yeah really interesting conversation i really enjoyed it and i think you did two tests so we, we hope you guys do as well
0: enjoy her accent also i bloody loved it all right let's get into it <laughs> All right, Emily, we're so excited to chat to you today. Thank you again so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Very exciting.
0: Yeah, we're very excited too. Uh, So let's get straight into this episode by starting with our fast five. Answer as quick as you can to the next five questions. Okay, first of all, dogs or cats? Dogs. Flowers or chocolates? Chocolates. Favourite Taylor Swift era? Oh, I'm not a Swifty. Oh Daisy! Oh, what?
1: <laughs> I was like crossing fingers and toes, hoping that you were.
0: <laughs> um, chocolate in the fridge or in the cupboard? In the fridge every day. Oh
1: yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Five true seals or sea lions? Oh, I
2: love them both, but I have to say <laughs> <them> seals currently. <laughs>
0: nice well done uh and what a stitch up with the taylor's <laughs> sorry guys
2: <laughs>
1: i think he's you can tell in Australia. <laughs> yeah you can tell who wrote those ones i was like i'm hoping yeah, she's, in I'm the <laughs> um, she's in the swift um, either, but it's all good um <laughs> uh, but emily thank you again so much for coming on the podcast we're really excited to chat to you and kind of dive into the world of rehab rescue um but quickly we, we generally like to start the podcast by taking a little bit of a kind of back into your pathway and how you got into the role but I just wanted to say my favorite Instagram account in the whole world is a puppy and a bunny and if you do not follow it you <laughs> need to follow it you were on it I was like oh my god that's Emily and her seals how cool it was very cool to
2: be
1: honest
2: I didn't previously follow them but as soon as reached out I was like this account is so cool (laughs) and that is a great story so I was so happy to help yeah
1: we we all follow it at work and we all chat and share them like every week and I was like hey I'm interviewing Emily next week and I have to talk (laughs) to her about this um but anyway I just had to get that out of the way to start and if you guys aren't following that uh Instagram account it's a puppy and a bunny and it will absolutely make a day it's the most wholesome thing I've ever seen on social media (laughs) Um, But anyway, Emily, we'd absolutely love to learn about yourself, your pathway into your role and what your role is that you're doing now.
2: I went to university in England to study wildlife conservation. Um, After I graduated, I didn't actually work with animals straight away. Um, I worked in marketing for my partner's business during uni and then carried that on after because it was really busy. Um, So I only moved into the industry when a role at my local seal sanctuary came up. Um, So that's when I moved and I was there for nearly two years. Um, Working with animals isn't something I've always wanted to do growing up. When I was in secondary school, I actually wanted to work for MI5 for some time, which is very different. Um, (laughs) But then in 2016, I went to South Africa on a research expedition, came home, dropped out of uni, and then went back to study conservation. (laughs) So it's only something that recently came into my life a couple of years ago, this job, um, and that's seal keeping, so looking after seals at Sanctuary.
0: Wow. Wow. I love that you were like, no, I want to do this, and then you just found something that you absolutely love. Good on you!
1: I had a spot (laughs) at, um, I think it was Plymouth University for criminology as well, because I was big into CSI, and then I completely changed it around to animals too. So we we love a (laughs) crimey. I
2: mean, sometimes I'll still watch a good murder doc or something, and I always solve it. So I think
0: (laughs) it can be a side hustle. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about um, your job and what a day in the life of Emily entails?
2: So I was working at a place called Natureland Seal Sanctuary. That's just a little sanctuary on the east coast of England. It's a very, very busy area for seals. Um, My role was so varied, but I was technically a seal and penguin keeper. Um, So it's a seal sanctuary, but we have a couple of other small animals at the collection too. The premise of the sanctuary is obviously to rescue rehabilitate and release seals and my job mainly involved contributing to the rehabilitation of pups so that can involve them getting ready for life back out in the wild helping them gain weight administering medication and so on um also involved a lot of teaching seals how to feed on their own because a lot of them will come in when they're really young um at the sanctuary there, we also had some permanent resident seals who couldn't get released again into the sea so they had to stay there forever so it was my job to look after them so that was five adult harbour seals um, and as I said they couldn't go again so I had to make their life very happy and very fun for them at the sanctuary um, that one involved training and enrichment just general animal husbandry and zoo care practices um, and so it was a bit of a mixed role really some rehab some normal kind of zookeeping stuff um, same
1: for the penguins as well. Sounds so interesting and like such a variety of different skill sets that you would have learned from doing that role. What other species of seals that are native to the UK coastlines?
2: Um, so we have harbour seals, they're technically called common seals but more known as harbour seals over here um, and grey seals as well. So there's a big difference between those two the um, common seals are born in the summer months, so that's the season here. And then in the winter, which is right now, is our grey seal season. Um, the harbour seals are lovely, cute, quiet, adorable little sea puppies. <laughs> and then you've got grey seals who are very vicious and aggressive and vocal. So you've got a nice mixed bag.
0: <laughs> and for anyone who would just like to see the cutest content, I'm just going to spruik it Insta because... <laughs> I'm obviously not even in the marine world, Daisy's obsessed, but your account is just amazing. And those big googly bulbous <laughs> eyes on all the seals and sea lions. It's just like incredible. Like I'm a sucker for flying foxes with big um, yeah. sweet eyes. And yeah, those sea-, sea lions and seals just like tick that box. So yeah, give your account, <laughs> give her account a good look if you're interested in some cute content. <laughs> We're just spruiking people's Instas.
2: I yeah, this yeah. episode,
0: that's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Now, um back to our chat. Uh can you talk us through the process of um what the process is of when you get a call about a stranded or an injured seal?
2: Um so pups are generally found by members of the public or just basically anybody that's on the beach at the time and finds a seal. Um it is perfectly natural for seals to come out as I'm sure we all know, but a lot of people don't know this, so we'll panic and call the sanctuary anyway, which is fine. It's better to be safe and sorry for sure. Um, but then it's the sanctuary's job to go to the beach and find that seal and decide if there is actually something wrong or if they're just chilling out and having a big snooze or not. Um, if there is something wrong, the seals will get picked up and they'll come back to the sanctuary. Um, the first place they go is to the seal hospital. So it's just a little hospital, like a wildlife hospital for seals. Um, That's where they'll be fully assessed, they'll be medicated, that's commonly things like antibiotics and dewormer that they'll just need, but sometimes they need a few other bits as well. They'll just get lots and lots of rest, just as if we was in hospital, and they'll also be taught how to eat fish on their own. It's not always the case, sometimes the seals will come in and know how to eat fish, but most of the time the seals that are rescued are really, really young. They'll come in anywhere from literally one day old, to about two to three weeks old. And at that time they haven't started eating fish yet because they should have still been with mom and had her milk. So they just need rearing as well a lot of the time. So that's where they'll start in the hospital. Once they've learned how to eat fish and they are fully medicated and they seem to have perked up and are okay now, They get to go outdoors and have their first go swimming so there's a quarantine pool which they just have to spend a couple of weeks in so we can just make sure that they're definitely healthy again and then from that they go to the last stage which is to the rearing pool and that's where the seals will mostly come into my care so it's just like a little nursery pool where all of the seals will get together we'll get them competing for their fish, so it's not easy. And they'll also have to gain loads of weight. We have to get them up to 30 kg. Um, That's about the weight that a seal would weigh after four weeks of mom's milk in the wild. So that's the threshold that I think all sanctuaries in the UK use. I'm not sure about elsewhere in the world. It's probably the same. Um, And then once they're nice and fat, I get to do the best part and let's take them back to the beach and release them into the sea. Just lift the lid on a little crate and they go bouncing off
1: into the waves. <laughs> That's so cool. It's it's really interesting to hear the whole process because I'd say probably a lot of people listening and myself, like a, I'm a little bit naive to what actually happens with rehabilitated animals and the different processes that they go through. So it's really interesting to hear. What do you normally find, I guess, is like the main reason for them to come into your care?
2: Um, most of them are just young. So we would class them as orphaned and abandoned abandoned seals so they've lost their mum when they should still have mum so they need rearing any seal that comes in after that stage the most common things are probably longworm so that's just a parasite that they're going to get from their fish so that's just an unfortunate natural thing that's happened Um, it does also mean that they've been successful at finding fish in the wild so there's a pro and a con (laughs) Um, but (laughs) they'll need a bit of sea wormer for that Um, But it would depend on the species of seal too, so in harbour seals over the last few years, I think one of the biggest things that all sanctuaries in the UK have been dealing with is a disease called mouth rot. Um, If you're not familiar with mouth rot, which most people probably won't be, it is just basically the inside of the mouth is rotting and has got holes. So basically on the roof of your mouth on the inside, you'd find some really deep holes. Some of them are so deep that they would go all the way through to like a nasal passage and you can see bone. It sounds really gory and it is kind of gory, <laughs> um, but that seems to affect young harbour seals. So that's one of the biggest things that they come in with, um, but also lungworm but mainly just abandoned pups that need a bit of milk because they haven't got ones.
1: Oh, I mean, that's it's cool to hear because I would assume hopefully like a lot of the abandoned pups, as long as they are successful in their rehabilitation, a lot of them probably would be released. <laughs> quite frequently like I'd say do you have quite a successful release percentage
2: yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's very very rare that a seal would not be able to get released it sounds quite harsh but it either goes one way or the other the seal will be so ill that they will die or they will be better and get released it's very very rare that a seal doesn't get released the Sanctuary rescues about 70 seals every year, and generally yeah. over 50 would get released, so it's a really high percentage, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really happen often. For us at the Sanctuary on the East Coast, um, we obviously have five permanent residents, so they couldn't get released, but they were healthy enough to survive. And the age range there, the last one was four years ago. Before that, it was 12 years ago and then 21 years ago. So it's very rare that a seal wouldn't get released if they were well enough. It's, they, If they survive, they all go.
1: Yeah, wow. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool statistics to hear. And I guess with rehab animals, uh, it's obviously really important that they have as little human interaction as possible. Do you, like, how do you manage, like, do you struggle with trying not to form those relationships? Or is it because, you know, you know how you know, how special the end goal is for them, that it's easy enough.
2: Um, It is so important to not have interaction with them, really. But when you are looking after them in a sanctuary, this is something that can be quite difficult. Um, The seals will definitely form a small attachment to keepers sometimes, but that's normal. They're acting as their mothers and caring for them, which is completely natural, just in the same way they would depend on their mother in the wild, they would depend on us for a very short time. Pops will also spend a lot of time near humans when the visitors come to the sanctuary to see the seals. So compared to a wild seal, they do see humans a lot more. Um, But that is where it becomes really important for us to educate them when they visit us at the sanctuary. That was one of my main roles was to do public talks at feeding times where I'd get to tell everybody, you know, what to do if you find a seal on the beach. Make sure you keep your distance, do this, do that give all of the rules basically and that really helps educate a lot of people um but the rescue pups aren't touched or handled in any way unless medication is being administered or they're being fed so it is really important for us to do what we can to not bond with them and interact with them obviously so they have the best chance of thriving when they go out into the sea um but sometimes as i said they are just young pups who will depend on you sometimes you'd just be cleaning the pool and you'll get a really cheeky playful one who will come over and just try to eat the hose pipe and <laughs> just bite your welly but you just have to know when to isolate yourself and turn around and ignore them basically and just walk away um, but everything that happens always happens on their own terms and it's just they just like playful young puppies sometimes but are also far more dangerous and vicious so even if (laughs) anybody wanted you know to touch them or interact with them you would not get a chance they they would bite us so hard i mean myself and many other keepers can attest to that that i've had bites not from trying (laughs) to just bites from feeding and medication administration and stuff um but there is on our part definitely some pups that you will fall in love with for example, you'll get some pups whose re- re- rehab was very difficult and very long, so they're there a bit longer. So you do, you love them. <laughs> Don't know how much far you you could say saying that they love you. But one of <laughs> my most frequently asked questions is this: like, how do you not become attached? How do you take them to the beach and release them? It must be so heartbreaking. Um, but when I first started, it was probably very hard, and I probably did get attached, and I find it hard to say goodbye. But when you go through 70 seals every year, you go and release one and you come straight back to so many others and then you're just busy with others that you don't think about the same seal for too long. You're very occupied. Um, There's only three seals, I would say, that I've ever been massively attached to. The first one was a seal called Dutch. Um, So we have themes. So that was from a restaurants and cafes year theme. And it was a seal that was previously pre-tagged and released from Germany and then made its way to um so that was why he was called Dutch. Um but he was the first real one that I had when I started there. So that was just emotional. And then after that, the only two that I've really become attached to are our resident babies. So two of the resident seals I care for, um named Ollie and Pixie are parents, and they do have babies at the sanctuary who we then release into the wild. Um so they've had two babies in my time there and I've kind of felt like a grandmother to them because I (laughs) remember their parents and then they have their babies and I just love them like I would love my own dog. (laughs) Yeah
0: it would make sense that the resident seals you would absolutely form an attachment to for sure
2: you're probably allowed to a little bit more because you know that they'll be there. (laughs) Yeah with the resident parents absolutely it's so important that there is an attachment and a bond there for them and for obviously the keeper as well
0: yeah now um circling back to release uh do you actually track them when they're released and if so is that um data accumulated or anything
2: um so the seals aren't gps tracks it would have been absolutely amazing to do but the sanctuary is very small and that is yeah. very costly and big operation which just isn't unfortunately feasible to do at that sanctuary um But all seals from UK sanctuaries and across Europe, I believe, do tag the seals that are released. But it's just got the sanctuary name on the tag. It's just like a little manual tag. um, And it's got a unique ID number for that seal as well. So that just means that if the seal ends up at another sanctuary or it's just spotted chilling on the beach or something, they can just be reported to us and people can contact us when they spot it and let us know. Um, It's obviously not as amazing as GPS tracking, but you do still get quite a lot of reports. During my time there, I've had quite a few. Um, Sometimes it would just be a seal you've released will just be seen chilling on some rocks or sleeping on the beach, which is really nice. And they always look a lot fatter and chunkier than when you sent them out. So you know, they're doing okay. Um, But three of the seals that I have released in my time there um, actually swam all the way across the sea and were seen on a beach in the Netherlands. So they do go pretty wide and far. (laughs)
0: wow that's amazing
1: yeah that would be so cool like and so rewarding for you like to know that they've had a successful release and they're thriving at life out in the wild yeah it is definitely
2: the ones that made it over there were actually reported by a local sanctuary over there who had obviously been informed of a seal on their beach and then just observed them for days um i believe one of them got taken in with longworm and the others were just absolutely knackered after us (laughs) I think we're like sleeping for about five days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now you've obviously (laughs) spoken a little bit about the fact that Sanctuary doesn't just have um, rehab and rescue animals. You've got some permanent residents too. We obviously love chatting about training. So do you have like a set training program or some, you know, sort of program that you utilize with those permanent residents?
2: Um, Training is such an important part of the resident seals' life as it is with any animal in any zoo or facility. Um, the facility where I worked is a very small place with a keeper team of only six people. So very, very small. Uh, when I joined, a training program was pretty much non-existent and wasn't really a priority at all, which is absolutely like okay. You know, it's a team of really small people, like six people. Um, but I felt it was so important to build something. Not only for the husbandry benefits, but also because I believe training is one of the biggest forms of enrichment that I find, especially in highly intelligent animals like pinnipeds. Um, So I worked really hard in my time there to implement a training programme with the five seals um, just to train them some basic husbandry behaviours so they can help with their own health checks, um, which was very, very important, obviously. Um, that was just some basics. So I taught them how to present their flippers so we can have a look at their claws and have a feel and a pinch around their armpit area. And um, that's helped for doing some pretend injections and blood draws. Um, we did lots of tactile things like rolling over. We obviously, as I said, have a mother in the group, so it's really important for us to be practising things like ultrasounds with her. As well. Um, it's something quite new, so she's not actually had a first ultrasound yet, but that is the aim for this summertime when she's going to be pregnant. So hopefully that goes great. <laughs> it's taken a lot of practice. Um, but we have another resident seal as well who also has babies sometimes. So we've got four females and one male, so they all need a lot of practice with that <laughs> as well. Um, but it's just important at any point in their life, whether they're pregnant or not, I guess. Um, We also do things like opening their mouth for teeth inspections, just a lot of tactile stuff like touching their back flippers and just practicing injections, things that they're going to need throughout their life. It's all something that was quite new and as I said we're a very small team so I was doing all of that on my own um, and it's not a facility that has any protective contact options so it was very hard sometimes to try and teach, you know, five seals new behaviours all at once when they would all be at my feet. (laughs) So it was not an easy process, but the programme is developing for sure. Um, I've been able to teach new people, you know, what I've been doing, and what I've implemented. So that's going to continue on into the future. Um, the seals didn't only just gain the ability to do new things they also became so much more confident which is one of the biggest things i found training achieved that they weren't shy before but if somebody new was to come in the enclosure they'd be a bit like who is this and why are you here um and they became so so confident which i think i think is a really big part of training that i feel like i probably don't hear people talk about much and they would be confident in doing certain abilities or things you've taught them to do but they were like completely new seals who were just very very excited and very enthusiastic to meet new people I think it's because they've known they've learned themselves that oh I'm really clever now I can do this let me show you some <laughs> a bit of p- real puppy dog kind of behavior I've seen a lot of similarities between them um but yeah that's really important and Again, it was so, so enriching for them, I found. You know, they had such in-depth enrichment and so many different fun games and activities, but I don't think anything that I ever made or gave them like enriched them quite as much as training. Each SEAL absolutely loved being involved and participating. They would just be so enthusiastic and so excited. And um, I think that's something, again, that came with them learning new things because they know they can do it now. So they're... It's just like a human learning how to do something new and you're really proud of yourself. Very excited. It's the same kind of vibe. I don't know if you guys feel that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's really, it's actually really cool that you've brought that up. Because I think we can think about training a lot of the time and the benefits for the animals in the sense of the cooperative care behaviors and, you know, keeping them nice and fit and healthy for their well-being. But it's also so important for their mental and physical stimulation and the enrichment side of it, like you said. Can we just briefly circle back to the point? Did you say that you work the five seals in one space to train them everything? Because that sounds like a lot. Like we have the ability where I work to be able to individually work each animal on their own. But we don't do that with the penguins. And like that is a lot. But the penguins are 35 centimetres tall and a kilo in weight. So (laughs) I'm just going to give you like hats off because that sounds like hectic work. (laughs) It
2: is very, very hectic because they all want to be involved at the same time. Um, I was able to do things at certain times to, you know, pull a seal away and get a few minutes with them. And sometimes I was able to get other people involved over my time there. There's been times where I wouldn't have to do it on my own, but then it would still be five between two people anyway. Um, But I think it was all good character building, experience building, because I definitely feel like now I could go and be successful training and all now yeah. if, I can, <laughs> yeah. if I have ones then I think I've got some good skills
0: <laughs> absolutely there's a lot of multitasking there
2: <laughs> it has A um, lot of patience. <laughs> True. No, I
0: love that you said that um you saw their confidence grow and that kind of thing because obviously on train talks and tales we're big advocates for training so the fact that you know that sanctuary didn't particularly have the facilities or the staffing um to do training and then it was Brought into the facility and you saw the changes within the animals themselves and their confidence uh it's just it's just great to hear and so we we love to hear that and yeah kudos to you for um starting that that starting that journey with those seals so well done now um (laughs) no worries now we were just talking before about obviously your amazing social media uh do you have a favorite like rescue story like is there something that comes to mind when you think of um a rescue seal story
2: that's a very hard question Um, and obviously there's so many amazing ones um the first one that comes to mind was a harbor seal pup last year um she was called gooseberry it was fruit and veg theme and she was named (laughs) by me (laughs) it was a very sweet name um she was rescued very young um and she had a few things wrong she was suffering from mouth rot which we talked about previously um it was a pretty bad mouth rot. it was a really bad year with a lot of seals with really severe holes um, and she was in what was known as you know the top four worst ones in that year and she also had a really bad <clears throat> sorry she also had a really bad um ulcer on one of her eyes Um, it was treated but it did leave her with some vision issues and she had the cutest little blue fuzzy eye. <laughs> I think um, if you go on my Instagram, the top pinned post is a video of Gooseberry so you can see her eye. Very nicely there. She's a very, very pretty seal. Um, but her mouth was really, really bad. Um, so she was with the sanctuary for quite a long time because it was a really long rehabilitation process. Thankfully, it wasn't bad enough that she had to be euthanized, um, which can be the case sometimes, and also that she didn't just die naturally. Um, She was rehabbed for quite a while to do what we can to try and make that heal basically close up or at least stop growing. But because it's quite a newish disease, nobody really knows is the cause of it properly. So it's really, really hard to treat and there isn't much on the market there to treat it. So it was a year of trialing new medications for it. Basically, she was quite a lucky seal of the bunch though because it was decided by our vet that he felt like he could actually try and do surgery to close the hole, which was the first time it had been done on a mouth rot seal. Um, so she went into surgery, a big brave girl, and had an operation to close the, the hole up with some excess skin from her mouth to basically like close like a little flap. Um, that was really successful and it worked. And then about two days post-op, she was recovering and did a massive sneeze and just blew the whole life. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was, the surgery was successful, but it failed after when she sneezed very, very hard.
1: Failed by a sneeze.
2: <laughs> it, was, it was, it was very optimistic and very difficult. Um, and it's something that will definitely be trialed again in the future. You just it depends on the size and the depth of the holes in the mouth um but she definitely comes to mind even though the hole blew again she spent a bit longer at the sanctuary and a lot of time at the rearing pool so we could have her in the water and feeding and basically test to see if any of those things seem to have an impact on her life with the hole so she was able to find fish and stay healthy, and she did. So after another few months, the decision was made to release her into the sea, which was obviously a very happy outcome um, because you know most seals with really bad mouth rot don't to so make it. So that was really really exciting and rewarding, and it was great that we got to trial a new groundbreaking surgery that hadn't been done before on her.
1: Um, yeah, even though it didn't out. work
2: in the end, it was still very very educational and useful for the future.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it failed by the fact that she just sneezed a little bit too hard, then I'd say like the <laughs> surgery was still successful. I guess it's just maybe more the aftercare that <laughs> she messed up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess like, I'd love to ask you, obviously you've been at the sanctuary for a long time. You've got the opportunity to work with so many different seals. I'm sure we have people listening who would love to be doing a role like you've been doing. Do you have any tips for anyone that might be looking at getting into a role that includes rehab and, re- uh, rehab and rescue? Sorry.
2: I mean I just went to university to study wildlife conservation but other people I know in the industry did a range of similar degrees so just zoology degrees kind of animal management and animal care degrees animal behavior any degree really in the area or at the very least at least like a, I, I don't know how this equates to education in Australia but in the UK you would call it level three and that would be like going to college um, after school so that's the minimum requirement that you need to be able to work in a zoo or facility in the UK Um, and it has to obviously be some form of approved course by places like Piazza but that is generally just any kind of animal management or conservation course Um, so that's where people need to start is at least getting that level three I would say my opinion if people were to go and just do a level three I would pair that with a lot of experience and hands-on because it's a lower level qualification which is fine and that's how a lot of people get in not everybody is very academic and not everybody wants to go to uni you don't have to go to uni that's what I chose to do because I and more academic than practical sometimes. So that benefited me. And just try and get lots of experience. My degree involved a placement year, which I thought was really, really important. Although my placement year occurred the same year that COVID started. So I only got about half a year's worth of work and then missed out on some really good opportunities. Um, but as much experience as possible, contact any kind of local wildlife or rehab sanctuary and do some volunteering. I think most sanctuaries around the world operate pretty much solely on volunteers. Not many facilities will have paid staff. So there is so many opportunities out there around the world to find places to volunteer at wildlife rehab. Um, But it wasn't somewhere that I had worked previously, so it's not impossible. I think as long as you get the qualification um, and you just try and find the right opportunity at the right time then you'll have a
1: good chance. Yeah, and I think it's like Tess and I've spoken recently actually on a podcast that the opportunity to volunteer is just nowhere near as prominent as it used to be. Like the cost of living is so much more expensive and people are working full-time jobs. So the option to volunteer isn't necessarily always possible like it used to be. So it's great to hear that you were able to get in through slightly different avenues as well. And and obviously having study in education is really important in the UK, um, as it is here in, in Australia too. Um, and we have a very similar to your level three um, that both Tess and I studied actually here as well so yeah I I feel like you you shared some really interesting tips and yeah I hope people get a lot out of that for sure.
2: Yeah absolutely the unattainability of volunteering definitely is a bigger thing and I think it probably depends on the time and place you are as well on the basis of that I think a lot of people would be better off to try and get volunteering earlier like for example, when you're in secondary school or high school um, and just try and do like one day at the weekend when most people would be living at home and you don't have things to pay for. I'd try and take advantage of that early. But again, people don't always know that that's what they want to do then. I didn't. I thought I was going to be an MI5. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot always plan things.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay so we have a couple more questions left they're just from our listeners that have been sent in so we'll get straight into that. Now what's something you've learned from working with rescue and rehab animals?
2: Probably how both physically and emotionally resilient you need to be. It's a very challenging job which takes some serious mental strength. (laughs) You're giving so much to animals that are depending on you for survival and that's a lot of responsibility um but it also means it's so rewarding um but it's probably also taught me what huge gap in knowledge there is in the wildlife conservation industry and how much little there is going on through the sanctuary i would do public talks and presentations and you would just meet hundreds and hundreds of people and so many of them the majority of them are learning everything you're saying for the very first time and they absolutely had no idea how to help a seal or that going too close or touching them could be really harmful. Um, so I just think there's probably a lot of lack of awareness. Um, I'd be interested to know if anybody from other sanctuaries that work with different species feel the same way about the conservation of other species but I think it's really highlighted a massive gap in knowledge so it would be great to see more done for education i can't say that i ever recall being in school and ever learning anything about animals really apart from a odd few biology classes but that's more about their anatomy you don't learn conservation which is something that is so so important for the world to move forward um so i would probably say that, that i've just really learned how me- mentally and emotionally strong i am but also what gap there actually is what well, that's so important for us all to keep educating people. And that's why I'll keep using platforms like my Instagram, keep trying to teach people um, and try and help get rid of
1: that. That's it's actually such a good point that I've never really thought about how beneficial it would be to teach basic and you know, basic things about conservation and like our wildlife and how I can protect them country to country, state to state, et cetera, wherever you live. Two people at school because you're so right in saying like you really don't get like I never got learned anything mm. about seals when I was at school in the UK and I don't know Tess if they taught anything about the Aussie natives to you when you're at school not really no <laughs> no it's just like this is a koala and they're pretty cool they're everywhere in Australia but actually they're not and they need um, a lot of love <laughs> yeah. uh, people
2: really don't know anything and it's conservation is something that is only more and more important every year that goes on so it's something that the next generation are really going to do more than anybody ever so if we're in a place where we need to start making changes and making you know the planet a better place and protecting wildlife people need to start being educated on how to actually do that because everybody sits at home and watches David Attenborough on tv and you know really enjoys it but it's not really teaching anybody what to do and how to change so it would be really cool to see more education for conservation implemented into the system for sure
1: yeah absolutely Absolutely. um now our last question is actually a question from me and I'm just like (laughs) circling back to something you touched on really briefly at the start of the podcast what can you tell for the listeners for people who might come across animals that need rescuing and I guess what to do and also what not to do If you do ever come across, because even though you you obviously work specifically with seals, I think probably things that you're going to say will go across for most different species of wildlife, depending on what country that you live in.
2: Yeah, so for seals, um, not even just in the UK, if anybody lives on the coastline or near a beach, then it's very useful to know because that would apply to anywhere. It could be a sea lion in a different country, any kind of marine mammal life. Um, For seals, we teach people to... Just make sure that you give them lots of space. First of all, I think with some marine mammals, if those on the shore, then okay, panic. <laughs> but the seals and sea lions, it's perfectly normal for them to be out of the sea. They do not need to be in the sea to survive and breathe. They come on to get some much needed rest on the land. So if you do find one, please do not try and chase them back into the water or get them wet because that will disturb their rest. Make sure you don't go up to them and try to touch them especially if the seal looks really young and small so they should be with mum for that four weeks of life to start with but mum won't always be by their side she will still go into the sea to find fish and then return to her baby and if there is somebody stood too close sticking cameras in their face trying to touch them she won't stay and hang around she will leave that baby behind and not return sadly Um, Even if she can't see you, if you've been touching and handling that seal, she won't, she will recognise it doesn't smell like her pump anymore and she will abandon it as well. So that's the biggest thing we try to educate people over here is to not touch them, keep your distance, don't chase them back in the sea, keep dogs on a lead is a really big one over here. That would probably apply to any wildlife that you find. If you find wildlife, please keep pets on a lead, no matter how much people think they trust their animal you just can't guarantee it could be the wildlife that would provoke the dog you don't know and we do have to treat seals in england for dog bites which is really really upsetting but they do also carry lots of diseases wildlife so it's an important thing to not go and touch them yourself or let your pets near them because you could both end up getting very very sick and again that applies to any wildlife for sure Um, but most importantly just familiarize yourself with local sanctuaries local to you i don't know necessarily how far marine mammal rescue would work in other countries like australia for you guys i know that you have um close to you guys i know that you've got a marine mammal rescue facility at sea world but here we have local sanctuaries spotted around but we also have a framework called the british divers marine life rescue Um, and that's a big operation of volunteers all over the country People need to call them in the country and they will send a trained medic to go and assess the marine mammal and then they will be responsible for delivering them to a local sanctuary. So just familiarising yourself with the networks that are available in your country, in your area, and just never try to treat them or handle the wildlife yourself. Make sure you contact a trained professional to do it in the right way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's all such good advice. And like it all actually reflects really well to Australia. Like we're lucky enough to have a variety of different sea lion species alongside the coast of Australia. And I think actually by law, you can't get closer than 40 meters. So they've actually got a a law about it now, which is great. Um, So yeah, hopefully everyone listening took a lot from that because it's so important to make sure that we respect them and give them the care they need where they need it. Definitely. Well, Emily, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I've loved chatting to you. Any reason to chat about seals and training? (laughs) Sounds like my perfect cup of tea. We have spoken numerous times about your social media. So do you want to do a bit of a shout out to where people can find you and follow all of your adorable seal stuff? Yeah,
2: you can find me on Instagram at KeeperEmily and you'll find lots and lots of cute seals and lovely little release videos where was bouncing off into the sea that's great to see so that'll give you a serotonin boost um you'll also find gooseberry that i talked about at the top of the page and she's so beautiful so you won't regret that either and um, you can also find me on tiktok tiktok at keeperm. so em for M instead but that's where you'll find me
1: amazing well again thank you so much emily we're so grateful for your time thank you thank
2: you so much I enjoyed my first podcast
1: <laughs> Yay. Thanks. Thanks. Damn, Tess, another really good chat. I really hope everyone enjoyed that one. So it was really cool hearing about the rehab and the rescue side of the animal world and especially some of her really cool rescue stories. And we spoke a billion times on that podcast about her social media. I would definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't already. It's adorable. Hey.
0: Absolutely. I cannot second that enough. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week. <laughs>